Open your Bibles, if you have it with you, to the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. As we come to week 8 in this Believe series, we come to the message, Stewardship. It's our theme this weekend and this week. And some of you hear stewardship, and if you're new to the church, new to the faith, you might be wondering, well, what is that about? If you have uh, been in the faith uh, for whatever amount of time, but you've experienced the joy of being a good steward and, and just utilizing what God's entrusted to you for His purposes, you're probably excited. You love to hear the affirmations of Scripture. There may be uh, a few of you here this morning that think, oh, no, he's going to talk about money. Well, I am. But you know what? Stewardship is a lot more than about money. It really is. Money is just a fraction, a part of stewardship because stewardship encompasses everything. And that's what you're going to read in your reading this week. You'll start in Genesis and go through the scriptures in these days of reading. And you're going to see that, wow, Stewardship is probably a lot bigger than I thought about. Now, I've read that the most sensitive nerve in the body, I don't know if you can, if you can verify this, Dr. Brad, is the nerve that runs from the heart to the wallet, okay? <laughs> it is? It, okay. So I'm going to be gently in how I put this, but it's biblical, so you just have to deal with that. But I hope you can see that each of these key beliefs build on the other. When we come to believe that God, the God of the Bible is the true God, and that he's made possible a relationship with us to be his children through faith in Jesus Christ, that the Bible then directs us how to live and what to believe, that, that we find our significance as children of God, and in that relationship, we're to see that all people are loved by God, all people are loved by God, and need a relationship with Jesus, and we need to extend compassion to them, then we realize, well, we're to be good stewards of all that God's entrusted to us so that they have the opportunity to know God as well. Because steward is a word that is used in Scripture, but not really a lot in our culture today. It means a manager. It means a caretaker comes from the Greek word in the New Testament, oikonomos, from which we get the word economy, which meant to manage uh, an amount of money. Well, that's what we're called to be is managers of whatever God's entrusted to us. And we have a key belief that we'll look at this week. I'm going to read it. I believe everything I am and everything I own belongs to God. used to have you read that to begin with, but I thought... Not sure you all believe that, okay? So I'm going to wait till the end, and I know you'll all be convinced, okay? And uh, we'll have another opportunity. But here's the verse. Here's the scripture from Psalm 24. And let's, let's read this together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. We're going to see in our reading this week that we are called to be the stewards or the managers of God's creation, of our children, of our money, of our homes, offering hospitality, of our possessions, of really everything that we do, because everything we have is a gift from God. And I want to 
focus on that aspect that he owns it all. And that changes everything when we come to believe that. And so I want to show you three ways in which I think that is expressed in the uh, message this morning in three principles. Here's the first. It's in your outline. When we come to believe that everything belongs to the Lord, we'll view our time, talent, and treasure as something we manage rather than something we own. Boy, that's a key distinction, folks. Now, Jesus spent a good percentage, if you read through the Gospels, a good percentage of his time in his teaching about the way that we utilize our possessions or our money. It's like he knew that was the barometer of our heart. If you want to know where, where someone's priorities are, look at their calendar. Look at their uh, checkbook. Look at their credit card. That will tell us about our priorities. Jesus said where our treasure is, there will our, there will our heart be also. Well, he told many stories about this to make the point one of them comes out of Matthew 25, and it reads this way. Verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. And then you know how the story goes, how he gave to one of those servants five talents, to another two talents, to another one talent, probably according to his understanding of their capabilities. But a talent that he gave them, what's a talent? Well, a talent was a weight that was used, uh, precious metals. And uh, scholars tell us that in all probability, this was no paltry sum that he gave to each of them. One talent would equal between 15 and 20 years of a laborer's wages. So he gave them a lot when he left to go on this journey, entrusting it to them. And do you think that any one of those servants ever thought, this is mine now? No, they knew it wasn't theirs. They knew it belonged to the master. He'd come back one day for it. But when we think of our time or our talent or our treasures, how often do we think of terms of, in terms of my time? And I'll use it like I want. Or these are my talents, my skills, my abilities, and I can use them for whatever endeavor. Or my treasure. I mean, this, this is my... But wait a minute. If we're stewards, if he's entrusted it to us, if there will be an accounting for it, then we need to readjust our thinking on that to realize, no, no, we get to manage it. If, if we think we own it, then if we are asked to give any of that away, we will begrudge that. We will not do so cheerfully. Uh, but, if, but if we realize we're, we're managing it, well then we can be content with what we have, hold it loosely, and share it as the Lord directs us, whatever it is, our time, our talent, or our treasure. Good stewards never confuse the role of a manager with that of an owner. Back in the 19, early 1980s, Dee and I were good friends with Sa'a and Rini Foster. You know them very well. Yeah, and Nicole, and uh, they were part of our church family. He's an Eldred Island family Christian now. But uh, he was a caretaker over at the Kahala Estates. Uh, there was an estate that was owned by an international arms dealer, actually. And he had estates all over the world and caretakers. And, and Sa'a was one of them down here. 
And this guy, uh, he would only come over about three times a year. But when he came, uh, he would bring an entourage with him. I mean, he'd come first in his own private 737. One time a friend uh, was going to come with him but missed the flight, so he sent the plane back to get him in California and bring him over. He'd bring another plane with his chefs and caretakers, you know, just for cleaning and whatever while he was here. And then the Hollywood stars would come in. One night, um, and Rini asked us to come over, spend the night with our little boys. So we did. Wow. Slept in the master bedroom. Not really. We didn't do that. <laughs> we, 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 we slept in sleeping bags by the pool. Saw and Rini had their own little home there on the property. I think it was a two-bedroom house. But we slept out by the pool. And uh, what a place. At that point, it had a huge swimming pool with different uh, areas in it. He had just built that because the owner was going to be coming soon, and he had said, Sa, I want you to tear up that three-hole golf course in the backyard, bring in contractors, and put in this swimming pool uh, instead. Well, what if when he arrived that time, Sa had told him, you know what? I didn't exactly get it done. We've been entertaining the associate pastor and his wife, for one thing. And secondly, uh, you know what? My son... He's gotten into racing, uh, Saw Jr., so what we did is we built him a little racetrack in the backyard instead of that swimming pool. No, right? No, he, he didn't do that because he didn't confuse his role as a manager or steward with that of the owner. And that's a good thing, you know, it enabled him to keep his job. And that's what we need to understand when it comes to what we've been entrusted with by the owner. In fact, Jesus told another story that related to giving and, and being wise in that. And then he concluded it. Here's the application in Luke 16. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Wow. These things that we have in this world, they're passing. Even the time, uh, certainly the treasure, I mean, that's, that's passing. If we don't use this, this is a test to see how we utilize this to be, see if we'll be entrusted with more. So we need to understand right off that, uh, wow, we don't own it. We manage it. Secondly, when we come to believe that everything belongs to the Lord, we'll view our time, talent, and treasure as something we receive rather than something we give. Sometimes we think, oh, our focus is on what we need to give. We need to move the focus to, wow, look what we've received. In fact, we are so rich uh, in so many ways, materially in the West but so lacking in so many other ways. In so many developing nations, they don't need near the drugs, need near the therapists, have near the depression. That we, isn't that interesting? Because we have become anxious about that which we own and try to hold on to. But we need to realize, wow, we have received so much. Back to that story where Jesus was talking about the talents. He said the man who had received... The five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Whether he put it in the bank or however he invested it, he did. 
So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now each one of them had received a good amount. But each one knew that when the master returned, they'd need to turn it over to him because it was actually his to begin with. No question about that. But when we think of our time, if we receive every new day that God grants us, then that day becomes sacred, doesn't it? We don't want to waste it. Now, yesterday, we had a wonderful time on an international hike. Charlie and Lisette were going to come over later in the afternoon and watch the Nebraska Rutgers football game. And um, I didn't consider that a waste at all of time. And especially when Dee asked Fanny and, and Mango if they'd like to join us for the football game. And, and so they did. Before Charlie and Lisette got there, we had them all outfitted in Husker jerseys and caps and everything. But uh, they might have considered it a waste of time. But, but anyway... Uh, I think we can enjoy life. I think we can have fun. I think we can, God wants us to enjoy things in our lives. But what we need to do is structure our lives so they're strategic. So that we're using the days that he's given us, the time that he's given us for his grand purpose. Same way with our skills, our abilities, and certainly the same with our treasure. That's what we do as managers. In fact, when it comes to our talent, the Apostle Peter said this, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold or the various uh, grace of God. Good stewards of His grace. Use your gift for Him. And our treasure as well. We think, well, wait a minute. I earned that money. Did we? Yeah, we did. But who gave us the health to be able to have that job? Who gave us the opportunity to have the education or training for that job? Who, who provides for us? We've got to keep that in perspective. Years ago, I heard about a dad who took his little boy to McDonald's. And uh, he said, we were sharing a Happy Meal together. He said, I reached over to pick up a couple of my, my son's French fries. He grabbed my hand and said, no, dad, they're mine. He said, wow, startled me. I pulled my hand back and I began to think about that. And I thought, wow, Johnny doesn't realize I'm the source of his french fries. <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy that went up to the counter. I paid my money and I provided those fries. He doesn't know that. He doesn't understand that. Not only that, Johnny doesn't understand that I have the power to take those fries back from him. <laughs> or if I wanted to, I could go buy $50 worth of french fries and dump them on the table. Yeah, I have the power to take him away or to just bury that kid in fries. Not only that, you know what? Johnny doesn't know I don't need his fries. I go get my own fries. And he said, I, I thought about that and I thought, what I really wanted Johnny to understand is that he needs to gratefully receive and gratefully share what he has. And I thought more about it and I thought, well, maybe it's a little bit like that with us and God. In essence, he takes us into McDonald's, each of us, and gives us some french fries. He may give us differing amounts of french fries, but he wants us to share. He wants us to realize he's the source who's provided these french fries. Not only that, 
He has the power to take them away at any time he wants to, or he can bury us in french fries if he wants, and he doesn't need our french fries. He has all the french fries he needs. He wants us to just develop a heart like his to share with those that he directs us to share with. Wow, that's a great lesson for us to learn as managers of what he's given to us. There was a fellow years ago wrote a book called The One Minute Manager. Some of you remember that. Scott, you'd remember that. Ken Blanchard, he's a believer. And uh, he said, you know what? There are seven surprises that uh, you're going to find if you start tithing your income. And that, the tithe is 10%, giving 10% of our income to the Lord, the Lord's work. And I really encourage people, give 10% to the church and then give offerings to ministries beyond that as the Lord enables and provides us to do. That's the Old Testament standard. It was never rescinded in the New Testament. Wow, that's the baseline, and now it's proportionate giving. Give as the Lord has blessed you, and God will provide. And here's what, here's what uh, Ken Blanchard said we will understand if we start giving 10%. He said, when you begin to actively and faithfully return 10% or more of all your income to the Lord's work, you'll be surprised at, number one, the generous amount of money you'll be able to give to the Lord's work. Paul said that. In fact, he said that to the church in Corinth because he'd asked them to give an offering, and uh, there were people in Jerusalem that were suffering, starving because of a famine there. So in, sec, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the apostle said this. He said, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Think of a sower with that, that uh, bag on his waist of seed. He's going out scattering seed. He said, if you just sow a few seeds because you're scared, you want to hold on to this for the winter, you're not going to have much of a crop. But if you sow generously, wow, you'll have a bumper crop. And that's what Paul is saying when it comes to our giving. He said, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we trust God, we can give cheerfully, knowing that he provides. In fact, he says this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So we'll be surprised at the amount of money we can share if we begin to trust God and tithe. Secondly, Blanchard says, be surprised at the deepening of your spiritual life through trusting the Lord to meet your needs. When we're depending on him, wow, we have deeper faith, trusting him to provide. Luther, Martin Luther said that there are three conversions that take place. First, the conversion of the head. We come to believe, you know, in Jesus. Secondly, the conversion of the heart. And third, he said the conversion of the pocketbook. And he said these three, unfortunately, don't take place at the same time. Usually, it takes time for the last one to be converted. But it's a surprise when we find out that. And then third, that the increased ease in which you meet your other financial obligations on the nine-tenths of income that you have left. It's really true. Number four, he says you'll be surprised at the way that starting to give 10% leads to more generous giving than you ever dreamed possible. 
Many of you have experienced that, and I know that you have. Number five, the effect faithful giving has in making you a wiser manager over all the rest of your money and possessions. Number six, the unexpected provisions that God brings into your life. Number seven, and the surprise you have when you wish you had started giving 10% or more much sooner. Blanchard says, I absolutely believe in the power of tithing. My own experience is that the more I give away, the more that comes back. Amen. Dee and I can testify to that, and I know so many of you can as well. And if you've not experienced that, I urge you to trust the Lord and step out in faith. In fact, in Malachi, he says, test me now in this to see if I won't provide. Do a 90-day project and say, okay, let's, let's try this for 90 days and see what God does. God is faithful, and he'll honor that. It's not a burden. It's an opportunity when we realize, wow, he owns it all. And he can provide the, all the french fries I need and more to share. And then finally, third, when we come to believe that everything belongs to the Lord, we'll view our time, talent, and treasure as an opportunity rewo for reward rather than an occasion for fear. Back to Jesus' story. We know that the one steward had, had turned it into ten, but when the master came back, he said, here you are. You gave me five, but here's ten. And the master was pleased. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been entrusted with a little. You'll be entrusted with more. Enter into the joy of your master. Wow. Same thing with the other fellow that had invested the two and gave him four. But the third guy that buried it says, then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man. Harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. And the master wasn't pleased, right? He had it back, but he'd entrusted it to him thinking that he would invest it. No, he buried it. This guy did that because he was afraid. He was scared. But then he not only was afraid... He insulted his master, I believe. And I think that was hurtful to the master. I knew you were a hard man. I knew you reaped where you've not sown, gathered where you're not scattered. Really? Was, he re was that master really like that? I suspect he wasn't. I mean, he certainly was gracious and entrusting that to them. Who was like that? That third servant. I think that was his heart. He was stingy. He was greedy. He was the hard person, and he projected who he was onto his master. And so he lived accordingly in fear rather than using this as an opportunity to trust. Here's the parallel. How do we view God? If we view him as a harsh master, someone we're always striving to please, we're going to live in fear. But if we view him, as we sang this morning, as a good, good father, perfect in all of his ways to us, as someone that we can trust, someone who loves us, wow, we can serve him with joy. We can, we can live with joy. We can give of our time with joy and our talents and our treasure with joy because he's going to take care of us. He's directed us to do this. He's a good, good father. Our view of God is so tied to the way that we 
use the gifts that he's given to us. No matter what your earthly father was like, and they all had flaws, our Heavenly Father's perfect, and we can trust him in these areas in our lives. When we think about money, we realize through experience, certainly doesn't buy happiness. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, we read, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. The more stuff we get, the more we have to maintain it and worry about losing it and holding on to it if, if it's ours. It, it'll never buy happiness. We also learn that money doesn't buy importance. Jesus said this, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in his abundance of his possessions. And it certainly doesn't buy security. If I had a little more, I could just rest easy. Really? Well, in Proverbs we read, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Isn't that a word picture? If you pull any bills out of your wallet and look at them closely, They've got the national symbol on it. And on that national symbol, there's an eagle with wings. So just every time you look at your bills, remind, remember, they can fly away. Stock market can go down. I mean, you can get ill, and there goes your money. No, there's no security in money. There's security in the Lord. And that's why we don't hold on to it so tightly. And you know what? Once we come to this conviction that God's the owner and we're the manager, there is freedom in that then we can be content with what we have and use it as he directs and not think we have to hold on to this for happiness or importance, status, or for security. One day the master will return and he's going to ask each of us an accounting. How would you use your time? How would you use the abilities, the skills? How did you use the resources, the treasures that I entrusted to you? I want to encourage you this morning to consider signing a quit-claim deed. Here's what I mean by that. About three weeks ago, I got a letter in the mail from my dad's attorney from Nebraska. My older brother and I were named the executors of the will that uh, he and my mom had filled out before she passed away. And uh, dad's gone in and made some changes to his will. I better check that out, make sure I'm still in there, although it wouldn't have... <laughs> Wouldn't amount to much, but, but, uh, but he's asked us now to sign off on the previous will. That's a quit-claim deed, so the new one will go into effect. Some of you may have walked in this morning just thinking, hey, I own my time and my talents and my treasure, and maybe you'll believe God's word that says, no, 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 we're the managers, we're the stewards. And if so, I'm going to ask you to consider signing a quit-claim deed. It's there on the bottom of your bulletin, and it reads like this. I, and that's where we print our name, recognizing that everything belongs to the Lord, do relinquish any claim to ownership of my time, my talent, and my treasure. From this day forth, I will make it my aim to be a good manager of all that he has entrusted to me. And then we can sign it and date it. I'm not even going to ask you to sign that right now. Unless you, some of you have already made that decision. You can sign it. But you may need to pray about this. It's a big decision. But how can you go wrong? And here's what I mean by this. In the corporate world, 
if you have a, a small company that is desired by a larger company, that corporation can come in and sometimes against the will of the board and even the management, they can take over that company. That's called a hostile takeover, right? The Lord will never do a hostile takeover of our resources. He won't. It's up to us. You know, he's not going to overrule our board decision here on a personal level. However, in the corporate world, you also have situations where there will be a small struggling company. They've got a lot of debt. And a larger company comes along and says, you know what? You'd be an asset to us. We'll take over your assets. We'll take over your debt. And maybe they'd even say, we'll retain your employees and we'll retrain them. You think that small company would go for it? Yeah, in many cases they're going to say, oh yeah, thank you very much. That's a friendly merger. The Lord is asking us to consider that. Because we, every one of us, have a debt we could never repay. We have sin that we can't take care of. We have emotional needs. We have uh, physical needs. We have mental needs. We have all kinds of needs. He's saying, I'll retrain. You know, I, I can work with you on this. And... Uh, you can consider being part of my family. That's the opportunity that we have, but we have to do a quick claim to what, what we've believed before, and that's what this is all about. I encourage you to consider that. Just do it. Talk with your children about that. Wow, we've become managers. We're, we're not the owners. We're the managers now of all God's entrusted. And live that way, and then we can live for the Lord with freedom. Let's come back finally to that affirmation that we began with. And if you can declare this with conviction, please join me in it, okay? I believe everything I am and everything I own belongs to God. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we want to put you in our proper, in, in proper perspective this morning and, and take the role, the wonderful role that you've assigned to us as stewards of the manifold grace that you've displayed. We ask that you'd help us to live this out day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.